Greetings and salutations to our fine podcast audience. Hello, Hello. everyone. Everybody here. We are. We are all are here. We are. Everybody doing well? Yes. Jason uh, did not just walk into the room. I was very thrown off by you asking if everyone was here because we're all in the same room together. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have started if you hadn't been. Okay, all right. Well, I just right. wanted to give you a chance to talk. Now, you was, got real quiet. It was phony podcast kindness. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got quiet all of a sudden. That was all good. That was all good. That's different for you, Nathan. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a... I hope you're more talkative than that. I'll, I'll have some day. stuff to say. You I'm got confident. some stuff to say? I'm okay. confident I got stuff to say. All right. Well, we got some stuff to talk about. We Excellent. Have, we have some questions. All of us in the room here have something to talk about. Oh, yeah, we do. Except Joel. Joel's not going to be allowed to talk. Just listen on his headphones. He just make bird noises. Yeah. That's all, that's all <laughs> yeah, he does. There they are. There they are. Did y'all hear that, or are we the only one? It doesn't ones? matter. I don't know. It doesn't I know matter. one thing. I won't be listening to this podcast to find no, out if they I won't heard know. it. <laughs> Me either. I did listen to a podcast the other day. I our did because I, I wanted to hear podcast. Uh, yeah. I listened to one of ours. I wanted to hear the full interview with uh, Derek. That's also the reason I listened. Oh, to well, there you go. Yeah, I had not heard the full interview with Derek. Right. I had. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it. So this Sunday, this past Sunday, uh, we wrapped up our three-week uh, series talk slash whatever you want to call it <laughs> on uh, racial reconciliation and our eight weeks on pieces to piece. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was a small portion of a larger uh, series. And uh, so um, we have. I thought it would be appropriate. We got a question just recently uh, that ties into that series. So I thought we'd start today with going after this question. Uh, it's a question I've heard before. And uh, so hopefully I'll, we'll all have a pretty good answer. You should have one. an answer then. I should. Okay. <laughs> uh, here's the question. Listener wants to know. Doesn't the Bible say that interracial marriage is wrong in Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4? So I thought uh, we would read that passage and then comment on it to, to verify or not whether this questioner is, is correct. Um, so I'll just read. In fact, I, as I was reading the passage, I thought, well, we probably should continue reading past verse 4 because I think verses 5 and 6 really do clarify what this passage is about. Uh, just to set it up, this is part of God's instruction to Israel when they come into their promised land that he's leading them to. What's the verse again? It's Deuteronomy chapter 7. All right, I'm going to read along with you, just follow along. Right. Not that I don't trust you, but I just want to be able to look at it. You don't have to. That's old school. Let's all doubt what he's saying. Let's pull out our Bibles. Let's pull out our Bibles. Let's pull out our Bibles. Our translation. It's old school. All of us are on mm -hmm. smartphones. So. Yeah. So uh, basically, the, the setup to the, the, the verse where I'm going to start is uh, he's telling the, uh, the Israelites, when you come into this land and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive out the people in front of you, we're going we're gonna, to uh, move into this place and you're going to sort of be in charge. Um, and he says, uh, here's some things that I want you to do. And in verse 3, uh, one of those things he says is, do not intermarry with them. And he's talking about the nations uh, that they had uh, come in uh, conflict with. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger, anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. Verse 5 says, This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So in the midst of this 
command to not intermarry with these other nations, immediately he gives his reasons for that. And his reasons are not racial in nature. No, that's right. <laughs> not that's even right. close. Uh, they're spiritual in nature. Yeah, and I think the closest command that you might find or instruction that you might find in the New Testament is closer to Paul talking about being unequally yoked or for believers um, to when they are in the place of pursuing a spouse to pursue a spouse of the same, the same faith, faith that has right. the same values in that sense. And uh, Yeah, I was going to say that the, the Scripture as a whole never condemns interracial marriage, but it no. constantly condemns uh, marriage across faith, faith lines. Interfaith. That's yeah. the thing that it constantly says, and it's, re- it's repeated in the New Testament. Never is it explicitly about race. I will say, though, it does... Partic- uh, specifically mentioned the Hittites and the Girgashites. So yeah. I, maybe if you're planning on marrying a Girgashite, you need to watch out. I Good luck see- finding one. They well, may be on say, Tinder. I don't. Maybe there's some you're like you're going to have to go to uh, the you know finding your DNA to find out. You might, might be, be marrying a Girgashite. I might be married to a Girgashite. <laughs> I want to see some deaf comedy jam about the difference between the Hittites when they do something and the hmm. Girgashites when they do something. That yeah. might be some interesting yes. humor right there, but nobody would get it at all. I'll yeah. also say, you know, it just hit me in reading this, I mean, listening to you guys as well talk about that he's not condemning racial, but um, he's condemning them for religious purity, or saying don't marry yeah. across racial lines. It just hit me that the guy who is saying this out loud mm-hmm. for God is uh, Moses. Yes. And Moses is inner, is married across I racial was, lines. I was going to make that point. Yeah. I was and, reading uh, today in my discipleship, which we all are right now, in our discipleship reading, I read the genealogy of Jesus. Yes. And in Jesus' genealogy, it contains yeah, people, people of, of other races, races as right. well. And so never is that called out. No. In fact, it's accepted as as a normal thing. So, well, but for Moses in particular, just to show that, you know, we had this conversation on Sunday that it wasn't, um, it wasn't just, um, that race in the sense that we think of race, uh, was, mm-hmm. is a, is a modern invention, but there's always been prejudice and there's always been this feeling of this, this desire to separate that happens with Moses when he takes a wife who is from in what would have been at that time, an African kind of air, uh, nation and the the Israelites and the leaders, they're not happy specifically that he married someone from That's right. another another but nation. When God calls him to use him, the only thing God is upset with Moses and his wife about are is they haven't practiced the covenant by yeah, circumcising right. their children. Yeah. So it's a religious thing. He gets really upset with them about the religious part. He didn't say anything about the intermarriage, right. the, mm. the what we would call racial intermarriage, but he's right. pretty upset. Uh, yeah. Sends an angel after him. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I, I, another thing that came to my mind as I was thinking about this issue, and and I'm I'm certainly not saying that this is what the question asker means. I do not mean this at all. But I can tell you that when I was being raised in the South, um, in a culture that had lots of racist tendencies, this verse was used. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, to Me condemn too. that kind of thing. But what I found pretty disingenuous and contradictory, in my opinion, uh, about the way it was used was I knew people in my uh, family, in my church family growing up, who uh, would absolutely use this verse to condemn marriage between a black and a white person. Right. But Of the same faith. Of the same faith, of course. But 
never seem to have quite the same issue with people of other races. In, in mm. other words, there were some white people I knew that were part of our church that were married to Asian yeah, people. Yeah, that, that didn't seem to be a problem. And that didn't seem to be a problem. And same thing with Latino married to a white person. That didn't seem to be a problem. But as soon as, you know, a, a girl in the youth group had an interest in, in a black boy or, you know, or whatever, that was a problem yep. somehow. And I thought, well, why aren't we being consistent? That always troubled me as a kid. I said, I don't think we're being consistent on this. And I never got a really good answer to why that was. And you know why? Probably because there was. Because there's no really good answer to that. <laughs> there wasn't an answer to that. So, yeah. That's one of those, hey, hey, you just listen. You'll understand one day. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I will say that um, uh, a minister that had a great impact in my life growing up uh, once clarified this issue for me. Um, I heard him say it. He said it very plainly in a church that really didn't take well to it. And he said, uh, and he was, of course, a white guy. And he said, I would rather my, my daughter marry a black Christian than a white non-Christian. Right. And I will always stand on that. And I, and I respected him for that statement. Well, well we- and in those same churches growing up, uh, I saw many people who were faithful Christians who were only dating people who were not Christian, and it's almost yeah. like it was evangelistic dating. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah. That they were going to get them in church. Yeah. Now, it very seldom worked. Right. It, it, they, they got in church you long enough way, to, get, to get the preacher <laughs> to marry them. Yes. And then that was the end of it. But nobody had seemed to have a problem with that, yeah. though that is clearly forbidden Old mm. Testament and New Testament. And New Testament. And, that, and that's something I've, I've had talks with couples who wound up in my office, you know, and and they always seem to be shocked when I when I bring the issue up of yeah. you know there's a conflict of, of faith here and it's going to be a problem uh, that never seemed to enter into the conversation no. for some reason and maybe yeah. we should take a moment to talk about that because I do think that equally is pretty controversial for people oh yeah um, to even think of that interfaith marriage is something that is um, is spoken against in in even the New Testament scriptures that we yeah. just talked about. Paul says, "Do not be unequally yoked." Why, why is that important? Why 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 is this something that mm. we should be concerned about? The interracial thing, not a thing to be concerned about. This, yeah. we should be concerned about. Why? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to follow Jesus, and you're going to really follow Jesus, it is the driving force of your life, and Jesus makes clear. Uh, it will separate you from other people who Mm. don't want to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the next commitment in order, in my opinion, and what the Bible seems to say, I make a commitment to the Lord, I will follow him. The next commitment I make that I stand in front of God and other people and say is to the person I marry. Mm. I pledge myself to them. And if they are pulling on a different rope than I am, it's going to make our marriage really, really, really tough. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I have enough experience to tell you, I know 100% it does. Yeah, People it does. think it won't. It always becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. And it, you just reminded me, Ed, I, I, maybe you guys can help me remember when this was. We did a series um, maybe a couple years ago now called Unhappily Married. Y'all uh-huh. remember that? Yeah. yeah. I believe that was the series where I taught on this very issue. Right. Um, I taught a message that uh, that dealt with 
this issue of, you know, why is it important to marry someone who is uh, on the same page with you spiritually? But then I also spoke, and, I, and I, that's why I bring this up, I also spoke to people in our congregation who found themselves in an unequally yoked marriage mm. at the moment. And, of course, the, the the teaching of Scripture and practical advice would say, Stay where you, you are. Stay. Yeah. stay where you are. That it is not an unforgivable sin mm-hmm. to no. marry outside no of your means. your faith. However, you now have some unique challenges and some unique um, situations that you're going to have to think through and deal with if you're going to maintain and follow Jesus uh, the way that you probably should. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, I just make reference that I can't remember the exact date on that. We we can go back and it's well, been and a I long. Think, it's been a long time. It's been a while. So, but you can go back in our archives and find that. It's called un- unhappily married. Maybe. Is the, I think. <laughs> Maybe. I, don't I don't think know. it was that long. No, ago. I don't think it was that I think long. It's ago. I remember it. It's on the YouTube's. I <laughs> think uh, to. I think it goes to 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 be important to talk about what we even mean by being a Christian and what you think that means because I think in these conversations and these are the conversations at least I've had was once again talking around here most of the time I would talk to people who are younger and not married at this point and talking with them whether my age and not married or teenagers and not married and they're thinking about it and the common idea is well I can believe what I want to believe and they can believe what they want to believe mm. and that probably is actually true if you want if it's just something that I'm going to think like I believe Jesus existed well, then someone else not believing it doesn't really change what I'm going to think about something actually happening right. or not. Now, yeah. it is possible that this person, if they are very uh, antagonistic towards faith, they may change my thought if they continue to attack me and kind of berate me about it. But I'm assuming that if you're marrying this person, they love you, and that's not their main goal is to attack you and berate you. But if you see following Jesus as something that affects if affects my practical day-to-day life and the decisions that I make and the things that I prioritize and the and the way that I interact in relationships and I interact with my money and I interact with my sex life mm. and I interact with all these different things those are pretty critical marriage issues when well, you talk yeah. about things that affect divorce sex Mm-hmm. finances, communication, uh, priorities. Those are, are huge issues within divorce rates and things among that nature. And Christians believe what I think about Jesus and what he says for me to do supersedes anything else. It's going to affect that. In my favorite book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Here we <laughs> go. You should check out. I, rem- I remember one of the key issues, which I hadn't thought too much about, was talking about those those passages that are written in these early church fathers' right too as well, that you just don't think about that because women had no rights, particularly if you notice most of those are written to single women right. in these marriages. He says, you're going to be in a marriage with your husband who may not let you go visit the widows and the orphans, which, funny enough for many of us who go, well, you can be a Christian and never visit the widows and the orphans. Hmm. They didn't think so. They didn't think that was true. They didn't think so. They thought, well, you can't, it doesn't matter what you believe up here. You're not living it out there. And he says, you also, because the sexual codes were different for a woman to be able to, her husband could make her do whatever he wanted sexually. Or at that day, abortions were incredibly common. And so for a wife to be able to say, no, I value this infant's life, there was nothing she could do about it. And they would talk about, it was making it practically 
miserable for her existence that these beliefs. Now, luckily, most of those things in our day, but I think for us to take Jesus seriously and to assume that someone of a different faith is going to value the same things we will, or if they do, maybe we do have the same faith. It, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe the things I value aren't the things Jesus does because we don't believe that Jesus and someone who doesn't follow Jesus are going to have the same values. It's the reason why we encourage, and I've always encouraged couples when you're considering marriage, is, is to do some type of premarital counseling before you head sure. into it because if we really take oneness seriously, and that's what marriage is, is a one flesh, the Bible talks about, the two becoming one. Um, all of those things that you listed, Nathan, that can often put us at odds. I'm not saying we agree on everything. We just, you know, yeah. there are places where we we work together. But as a general life direction of where we're going, that, that needs to be talked about. It needs to be figured out before we set out on this path or else we're, we are trying to go down two different paths. We at least need to know we're both walking the same direction because the truth is having been married coming up on 41 years, even though you have the same direction, along the way you find mm -hmm. out, oh, we had different thoughts about that. Exactly. But because we both had a common truth source, yes. we were able to eventually get to the same place because we were all working off the same map. Mm. But when <laughs> we're not even walking on the same path, I can't imagine how that... And I know, again, practically, I haven't seen it go very well. That's right. Not with, I mean, I've seen people survive in it, but it is sure. painful. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, um, so to be a quick answer to that original question, no, the Bible has nothing. Uh, there's nothing wrong in the scriptures with interracial dating. Well, or again, interracial I marriage. Yeah. Interracial. I don't marriage. know why it hadn't hit me until we're just sitting here thinking about it. But the fact that the guy who is saying the words is interracially, interracially married, married should be a clue to you. Should be. That that is not what that means. That wasn't yeah. the intent of that passage. So, you know, point to something else, but at least the passage you, you brought up in your question certainly is not what that's about. So, all right, on to the next one. And I, I, this touches on a question that we answered in a previous podcast, but I think this is going to help us take at it, get, a, get a take from a different angle. Uh, and I'll just read uh, the way they re wrote the question. It says, in the book of Luke, it says, if there is repentance then forgive. And then the question says, questioner says, okay, that makes it easier. But what if there is no repentance? What are your thoughts and tips on that? <clears throat> now, I went, and because they didn't give a specific verse, I went and looked through Luke, and I think I found the passage that they're talking about. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 3 and 4. And it's Jesus speaking, and he, he says these words. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So that's the passage. So their question is, what if a person sins against you and then there is no repentance? Do I still have to forgive them? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I just get that simple. Yeah, you do. Well, and, and as we read this uh, passage, um, Ed, I think you were the first one to make this point. Um, it, the, the example Jesus gives is someone repenting seven times in one day. Truth is, if somebody repents seven times in one day, they ain't repented. That's right, and Jesus knows that. And, and he's making you, a point there. The use of seven is 
it's a literary device for mm -hmm. them, and he in 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 their way of seeing it. It's the same reason he says earlier, "You must forgive them seventy times seven. That's, right. That's not a random number he yeah. picked out. It it does mean if they just keep you all day long. That's right. All day long, they were coming to you and they were sinning against you of the same thing, and they asked forgiveness. You got to do it every time. He's he's exaggerating for the point of. Mm -hmm. It's not the number of times, nor is it the repentance, because it's clear they're not repenting. That's right. Well, if I, I think, slap you in the face and say, I'm sorry, and I slap you in the face and say, I'm sorry, eventually you're going to go, I don't think you're that sorry. That's right. Well, and I think this goes to why it's important the way that we read things. And I'm not saying that grammar never matters when, when reading the Scripture, but one, we all know that whenever you're translating languages, which this has been translated, grammar is incredibly hard to do. So when you go in and you're going, let me look at each individual word. See, because he used this little, you know, preposition instead of this preposition. And I'm not saying that's your heart, but I do think many of us do that with lots of things. And we're looking at the thing. We have to understand that the way that Jesus taught, the way that Jewish leaders would have taught, is uh, in hyperbolic language, which means oh, yeah. very exaggerated. They're really trying to communicate a point, and they're not trying to communicate to you. And they know you can exaggerate a lot of points, but he's trying to make a point. And the point that Jesus is doing is unlimiting the forgiveness, not mm -hmm. limiting it. By saying 70 times 7, what he's saying is there is no limit that you can ever reach where yep. you stop forgiving. He's not saying unless they don't repent. You know what I'm saying? He's mm -hmm. not adding extra limits to the forgiveness. He's removing the limits. And I think it's important that we had this conversation before, because of his removing the limits, the disciples immediately go into this and go, oh, we're going to need more faith to do this, which is when you've seen the passages that in both Mark and in Luke, Jesus says things about, you know, um, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain or any of that. He's saying, yeah, I know this forgiveness thing seems hard, but if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move an entire mountain. Mm -hmm. So I bet you can do this one. Well, and then he, I think he describes the kind mustard seed faith in this passage. And I, I was telling you all, it was in discipleship a few years ago. I openly admit I had skimmed this verse, obviously, because I read it a few years ago and I was like, wow, yeah. I never saw that. Mm -hmm. I never saw the seven times in one day thing. It's outrageous, and he meant it to be. And then they say, show us, uh, you're going to have to increase our faith if we have to do that. Yes. And then he says, no, really, you just need the tiniest little bit of faith because mm -hmm. what faith looks like, he says, and the next thing in the parable is, it's just a, a servant that comes in from the field plowing and taking care of the sheep and says, come, and the master says, come eat with me. Uh, or uh, does his master say to the servant, come eat with me? No, he says, hey, I know you did all that. Now go fix me something to eat. Mm, yeah. and he's saying the job of the servant is to do whatever the master says. Yes. It's not to try to find a loophole in it. He said, that's what faith is. Faith he, is simply yeah. doing what you're asked to do. Because you can imagine when the disciples heard him say this for the first time, they're probably, they're, the, where their mind is running is, I don't think I can do that. Right. And then he goes into that story yeah. of, you just need to trust me on this. I know better than you. That's, that's all faith means. Is that's trust what he's me. talking about. Trust well, and the disciples had been discipled in a dip before Jesus in a way that all of us are when we see religion or faith as a set of laws that I got to follow, which is what's the limit? 
How close can I get yeah. before I when I don't have to? Because even within the Jewish scriptures, even within what we call our Old Testament, that's how the laws work. There are these limits that are placed. You got to do this. Unless this happens, then you don't have to, because that's how the laws work. Mm-hmm. And they think this is the way it works. Is I got to forgive, but there's got to be a point I don't have to. And I remember hearing a pastor once talk about going to Germany to be on the Autobahn where there's no speed limit. And he said Mm. that that was the time he understood the difference between law and grace. And he said in the, in the United States, everybody, when there's a speed limit knows I can drive five miles over the speed limit and they can't do anything. What you do. In Atlanta, it's faster than that. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's, I look at the, I look at the limit and I say, here's how far over the line I can go without being punished. And he goes, but on the Autobahn, when there's nothing, he goes, I immediately, first thing I did was I drove, 80 miles an hour going on this thing but then I see guys going 100 and the first thought I have go is how fast can I go and still be safe mm-hmm. how 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 can I do this in a way that honors the people in the car and does this and that's what Jesus is doing is he's going I'm wanting to open your mind your mind is what's the bare minimum I have to do to love a person what's the bare minimum and what Jesus does with his command of love one another is I have which Jesus shows us what forgiveness looks like, which is why whenever Paul writes about it in the rest of the New Testament, he says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, which was he died to do it. Yep. And he offers it whether I respond or not. Sure. Correct. I mean, it's always there. That I think we were talking about it when I we were talking about what passage you were, think they're referring to and found this passage is it, and we read through it. I think most most of the questions I've had in my time about forgiveness are really reconciliation questions. Mm-hmm. They are, yeah. does Jesus expect me to reconcile with a person who won't change? Mm. And right. the answer is no. Yeah. Right. No, that he doesn't expect, he does expect you to forgive them, which yeah. means you don't hold it against them. And I know it feels like if you don't reconcile, you're holding against them. No, that's the consequences of what they do from their side of your natural behavior prohibits us from having a relationship. That's right. But I don't have to be angry at you. I don't have to think about what you do all the time. I, I let that go. I don't want to hurt you, but I can't. I mean, reconciliation requires that you want to be different. Mm. But again, the problem I find most people have, and this is the goofiness of where we've gotten on this, most people don't break relationships with people that are actively doing wrong. They just hold stuff against them. Yeah. They they already are reconciled. I have this They reconcile person, without forgiveness. Yes. I have this person in my life that continually hurts me and I it I notice, hey, it hurts. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to forgive that and act like it doesn't hurt? Well, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to hold them accountable for their actions mm-hmm. but not have the anger and desire to hurt them. Mm. Well, and I think just for people who are tracking with what you just said and maybe have never understood this that is forgiving as the Lord has forgiven you. And we've talked about this before, but I think we often miss it. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, in Jesus, God forgave sin. Yep. Everybody sinned. Mm-hmm. He is no longer counting sin. Forgiveness, which means I just erased the debt. The debt is gone. But there can't be reconciliation without repentance. Mm. And so everything from God's side of the equation has been forgiven and taken care of, whether you turn to him or not. The issue is not forgiveness. The issue is you don't want to be with God. 
That's right. You don't want to be preaching, y'all. Nathan's preaching. Hang you on. don't want to be. You don't want to repent. You don't want to change. Because it's why when people say, "Does God send people to hell?" No, it's not even a lack of forgiveness that sends you to hell. What sends you to hell is you don't want to be with God. Yeah, mm-hmm. heaven mm-hmm. is where God is. That's right. Everything yes. in heaven is about God. It's not about you. But yes. you've built your life around you like being about God. Yes. You like your life or bringing being about glory you. to God. You want that to happen. Mm-hmm. So naturally, when eternity begins for you, either at death or when Jesus comes, you go to where you want to be. And I don't remember who whose illustration this is, but that that and who who knows, you know, right? But that this is the way they imagine hell is. Hell is just you get you. Mm. You just get you, and that's, and that's all there is that's is it. you. And it turns out you don't like you. You <laughs> thought what you wanted was to find yourself and to to live up to your potential and to live out every desire you've ever had, and then and not do anything that God wants you to do, right? And then in eternity, what God goes is, well, if what you wanted was you, because I love you, I'll give you what you want, which is you. And then it's just you for eternity. And that that's, there's some weeping and gnashing of teeth going, this is what I am for eternity. Now, obviously, that's an illustration. I know we there's a question about that somewhere we did, yeah. about literal and fit, right. you know metaphorical. Yeah. That was just recent. Yeah. yeah, about hell. But anyway, I just think Jesus is saying model that same thing. Wipe the debt clean. Every time it happens, wipe the debt clean. But as he said, if there's no repentance, Mm. especially if there's any abuse or any kind of harm that is coming, repentance is necessary for us to be reconciled, to become one again. Mm -hmm. And that is what God does for us. He does the same thing for us. Because in the end, both of those things um, are are set up to be helpful to to you in the relationship. Mm -hmm. When I forgive... Uh, I release the burden that I'm carrying to uh, exact revenge out right. of this person or to get my pound of flesh or whatever you want to call it. I, I I release you from that. You don't owe me anything. That's what forgiveness means. We've talked about that. So I release that burden, and I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. When there is a, a possibility for reconciliation, I have now regained the relationship with this person because repentance has taken place, yes. a change has occurred. I'm no longer in danger of being hurt or sinned against in, in that way. So now we've restored both, but they can't always both be there. Mm-hmm. But they're both intended to, and I, I think I said this before we recorded, uh, forgiveness is more for the person who is forgiving than it is the person being forgiven. Yes. It it releases me from the the heaviness and the burden of cuz I know a lot of people they come into my office and they talk about that there's somebody in their past and something was done wrong to them but that person never acknowledged it they're still not acknowledging it there and it's and it's and it's weighing down on this person and and I've and I and it's always hard for them to hear me say I say you got to release the debt you got to let that go because what you're holding on to it is not affecting that person one bit that it is not they haven't lost any sleep over it they're right. not carrying anything but here you are and it's killing you well and to your point there i i i it made me think of this quote that i was going to use in an upcoming sermon but i've, I've now cut from it but it's by a frederick and i've read this man's books but is it buchner 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 there you go buchner yes. um and this is his quote about anger and unforgiveness he mm. says of the seven deadly sins anger is possibly the most fun 
to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come. That's good. Mm. To savor till the last toothsome morsel of both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The (laughs) skeleton at the feast is you. And that is so true. It's that old yes. holding on to a, a grudge is like... Uh, Drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I don't know the, the motivation behind the, the person who asked that question, um, but if that is where you are, um, if there is someone in your life who has not repented uh, of something they have done against you... Um, I don't, I'm not sure that the, the question that you should wrestle with most is, do I have to forgive them? It's not so much you have to, but you need to. Yeah. Well, and I, I you know, the, I, the motivation, the person, obvious, I, I see it every time anybody asks a question about forgiveness. The, the motivation is always pain. They're in, right. more, they're in more pain than they want to talk yes. about often. And if you could just lean into how much pain you're in, and if you could ever see... The other person isn't causing your pain. Mm-hmm. You because I have seldom met an unrepentant person who's in any pain. That's right. That's they, or else they would have repented. They would have repented. <laughs> they 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 aren't they aren't in any pain over the thing you're in pain over. You need to deal with what you need to do, which is you need yeah. to let yourself off the hook either for mm. making them pay. Mm. Or often I find people are holding on to something, hoping the other pe- person will finally see it. And they're holding on to it to change the other person, but you don't have any ability to change mm-hmm. the other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, if if you are in that place, whoever asked this question, hopefully you're listening. Uh, I'd encourage you to, if it's constantly a struggle for you, that you're not alone in that. It's certainly not uncommon for you to feel that. Uh, reach out to somebody. Uh, talk that through. Get some godly counsel. You can call, reach out to us, or just somebody yeah. that's in your life, because uh, it's often helpful to to involve. It's always helpful to involve community and things like that. And uh, I would encourage you to do that because I think you'll find if if you ever can reach a point where you can release that debt, uh, you'll you'll see the reality. You'll feel the reality of what we're talking about of of the lightness that comes with that. Well, and like with everything else, when we finally do it God's way, I can't promise that it will happen overnight. Yeah. But I have found. Sometimes reconciliation does come, but as long as I'm the one holding all the weight of the rope, maybe, yeah, the other person never feels it. That's right. But if I will occasionally drop the load mm. and let them feel the consequences of what they've done by just ma- basically me not holding on to it, yeah, and but also not being reconciled, I cannot be reconciled with an unrepentant person. Mm. You got to get both of those clear in your mind. Yes. All right. Well, that's what I got for today. I think that wraps us up. I'm, I'm right. good with being wrapped. I'm wrapped. good with that. So, all right. So we'll be back uh, next week. And uh, next week we've got a special guest. So I don't want to yeah. ruin it, but tune in next week and we'll, be, uh, we'll hear from somebody besides us. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Hmm. All right. See you guys next week.